Hi, I'm Carolyn. And I'm Bethany. And we are Sisters in Song. Today, we have an amazing guest joining us. What happens when you wear a name tag 24-7, even to bed? Just ask Scott Ginsburg. In the beginning, it was just a gimmick to make friends. But soon, his crazy idea didn't seem so crazy. Scott's social experiment went viral multiple times. And the name tag story has now evolved into an urban legend, world record, and a profitable enterprise. Scott has published 57 books, 13 albums under his own record label, four full-length music films, and given a TED Talk. Scott's also the founder of Prolific, the world's first framework for personal creativity management. He lives in Brooklyn with his family, where he performs weekly acoustic concerts for his artist residency at Prospect Park. Welcome, Scott, to the show. What a wonderful bio. Okay, so we need to know about the name tag. Well, it's today's 8,442 days, just in case for those keeping score at home. So I, I went to college at Miami University. Um, yeah, I was really lonely in uh, in college. And one night I thought it would be funny to wear a name tag and meet some new people. And it was extremely effective. And people started treating me very differently. And I felt uh, sort of seen in a way that I'd never been seen before. Um, and I, I don't think I knew that at the time. I just knew I was kind of like talking to new girls and this was exciting. So I kind of made this informal vow that I would just continue doing a name tag just all the time. And I, I had no idea that it would lead to this career and this whole sort of life revolving around this little sticker, but it, it was just an experiment that I hung in there and it was really uncomfortable for about a year because I got lots of weird looks and strange conversations, but I, I stuck with it. It's my thing and it's it's been 24 years now and uh, I, I'm still doing it. So how many name tags have you gone through? It, it's impossible to count. I don't know. <laughs> I, I do know that I, I was very lucky over the years to have the name tag companies uh, send me lots of free name tags because I, I used to name drop on CNN a lot back Back when the media actually took an interest in my work, uh, I was like, well, shit, I'm going to promote the name tag companies and then send them the video of me promoting them. So I, I don't know how many it is. I, if I ha- if I really had to guess, I don't know, 50,000 maybe. You change them every day? No, I mean, this one is, this is actually pretty worn. Ask- this is like my house, you know, jacket because I work at home. So this, is, this has been there for a while. It's, it's pretty gross, but I, I try not to waste too much paper. That's awesome. That is a fantastic I love that you're wearing story. at home too. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah my, just in case my wife forgets. So tell us about how you got involved um, writing music and writing songs. Yeah. How you got started with that. Well, long before I was writing books and all these other projects, um, I started writing music when I was about 12. Uh, I learned how to play. Actually, I was a saxophone player initially. Okay. I, I learned how to play saxophone when I was 11 and it was the wrong instru- instrument for me. I, I really didn't like it. I wasn't that good at it, but I tried it and switched over to guitar because that's how my dad got my mom. And I figured, well, I should keep that going. So I uh, started playing a guitar and writing music. As soon as I learned G, C, and D, I'm like, well, now I'm writing music. Let's go. So started writing as soon as I could. And I would say between age 12 and age 18, I wrote, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 songs that were horrible. Just the worst teenaging, <laughs> no melody, no nothing. The, the words were meaningless. And I'm so proud of those songs because they were really important. And they I learned how to do this thing and I got continued to get better. And I've, I've never recorded that first batch of songs, but I think that was important because I sort of got them out of the system and then could could start writing some actual songs. Have you ever collaborated with anybody else or, or written for anybody else? 
it's it's pretty unlikely. Like I have a couple friends where yeah, we've we've messed around together and, and I tried doing a remote band with one of my college buddies during COVID. And it was it was tricky to get our schedules together. He has three kids, uh, we have our various lives. So we, we did the best we could. We did write a couple songs via Zoom, which which is neat. So I I've done a little bit, but other than that, I'm really not a team player. So do you use like a process when you are doing songwriting? Do you do like yeah. exercises or prompts or do you? I used to do what was probably a more traditional approach to writing music, which like, yeah, pick up the guitar and see what comes out. And then just kind of whatever I'm feeling, I write those words down. And I think that's a very common way to do it. Over the years, I've put together a process that's, I, I don't know anyone else that does it. I, I've read a lot about songwriters, so it's not, I don't think anyone else does it, but so I, I kind of have taken the the work that I do writing books and writing other projects, I've adapted it to songwriting. So what I do is I start with about a thousand to fifteen hundred word essay on one thing, one feeling, one idea. Like I, as an example, this morning I was writing about apathy. I think apathy is a really interesting emotion. Uh, sometimes I have apathy, sometimes I don't, but I was just sort of all these different sort of thoughts and ideas around apathy. So that's a thousand words or however long it is, a page or so. And then what I do is I print that out. Excuse me. I don't print that out. I look at it and then I start extracting lyrics. So like single lines, like, oh, that sentence is that make a good lyric. Oh, that, that's a good, that's, you know, and kind of pulling out, extracting the good stuff. I make that into a bullet list of just like a source material. And like, these are the things that I could potentially use. I don't have to use them all. And I may think of other things, but like that allows me to stay on point of what like the, the complete thought was. And then from there, I'll have a bank of melodies that I'm working on, or I, I save them on my phone. I have, here's various melodies. Like, okay, this melody, this will work for this thing about apathy is kind of cool. So I kind of think this, so then the two parallel roads sort of like converge together. And now these melodies sort of written in isolation and then these um, lyrics written in isolation. Now the two parallel um, roads come together and then the song begins to converge. And then I put it together the same way most songs are put together and then I'm done. I have to ask, when you're doing the essay, are mm -hmm. you doing it like, it's like a free write and you're just writing? Or are you like mm. doing it in like an essay form? Right. It, it's so interesting. I, I hear the word free write a lot. Um, tell me what that, what you mean by free write, just so I'm clear on the definition. So to me, I mean, like I come up with an idea. So say I'm doing apathy and then I would sit there and write down mostly like stream of consciousness, like all the things I can think of about apathy, like how it makes me feel, what it would smell like, what it would taste like, and that mm. kind of thing. And then I would pull the ideas out kind of like you're saying, but mm. is yours more of like a logical is format? Structure? Yeah, structure. That's yeah, it's, God, it's it's somewhere in between those. It's like I like I do morning pages too, and morning pages to me is very free write because it's very associative and it's just let it all out. So I I will have already done morning pages by the time I'm writing my essay. So I would say it's one click above your definition of free writing because I, I it's going to be a chapter in a book or in a blog post eventually. So like. Yeah, just there might be some structure. It it might kind of ramble on. And my whole point here is like, whenever I write the essay, the, the only structure is how can I solve one problem? It's like minimum viable problem. What is the one thing I'm trying to figure out? Like, what do I think about apathy? Or you know, what happened yesterday that's kind of bothering me? Or like, what am I excited about? What, whatever the thing is, it's like, I want to have one complete thought on this one thing. And when I'm done, I'll, I'll, I will feel that sense of completion 
And so maybe it's a certain structure, maybe not. I don't, like I said, I don't care that much anymore. I've been doing it for so long. So whatever comes out, comes out. That's a pretty solid process. Do you ever find yourself struggling within that process? What is a struggle for you in songwriting? Mm -hmm. What's, what's kind of comes easy to you? The lyrics are easy. The, um, the meditation is easy. The melodies are hard. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I think it just depends on your, your skill set. Like some people are mutual friends, Sarah Spencer, who runs Song Fancy and Song Club. She has a really good ear for melody. And she's one of those people where if I just played, you know, if I played like a one, six, five, uh, progression, she would just pull out a melody. I'd be like, Holy crap. Listen to that. <laughs> I, I don't really do that. I don't like Paul McCartney was good at that too. I don't hear melodies that often i will i'll listen to christmas music on the country station and oh I'm, I'm gonna steal that melody like like i have a good ear for hearing melody and then replicating it or modifying it but i can't just like i don't just come up with melodies out of nowhere but but the words no problem the chords yeah sure but boy that melody part's tough what do you do with for writer's block do you ever find yourself stuck yeah, of course I do. I mean, I, I built a software program to help me overcome my own writer's block. That's, and other people too, just because I know it's it's a big problem. And I, I have thousands and thousands of tools that, that I might use in any given moment to overcome writer's block. So since we don't have time to go through all 2000 <laughs> of them today, like I'll give you a couple of examples. So I do the majority of my, of my meditation writing, not songwriting, but um, essay writing, you know, pretty early in the morning. And there's a couple questions I, I tend to ask myself either directly or more indirectly. But one of them is I just try to think about yesterday. I try to think about like the most immediate memory I had. So if it's five in the morning and I'm on the couch and I'm just kind of sitting there, I'm like, okay, so what bothered me yesterday? What, what offended my sense of order? Who did I want to call bullshit on? Like, just, I have a great list of questions that are really helpful. And, and they, you can think of them as prompts. Yeah. So like, that's one road in is just to kind of, kind of think back. If I don't have something like ready to go that I'm excited to write about, that's one way to do it. Um, another completely unrelated technique that I find really helpful is just because I read so much. The first thing I do, well, morning pages is the first thing I do. And then after morning pages, then I do a writing exercise, which is I transcribe my notes from what I read yesterday. So as a good example, I'm reading a book right now about how to quit vaping. I don't vape. I've never smoked in my life, but I, I find vaping very interesting and it's very popular and it's it's a big business and a very controversial issue. So I'm, I'm enjoying reading books about vaping. So yesterday I was transcribing my, or excuse me, this morning I was transcribing my notes about what I learned in the vaping book, but that warms my fingers up. It warms my brain up and it just kind of gets me sort of on ramping. And I find that to be really helpful physically because I'm like kind of typing these words I didn't write but that are interesting but it also gets my brain cooking like oh that's interesting there's there's this thing here about like addiction and I can think about my own addictions and maybe that'll get me going so can you tell us a little bit about the software that you developed and, and how that will help other songwriters yeah, sure so this was a pandemic project uh, everyone had their various pandemic projects yeah. I had extra time on my hands like I think a lot of people did and I think that the the project kind of came out of survivor's guilt because especially in 2020, when it was extremely dangerous and, and we were losing a lot of people, we were really fortunate. We had jobs, we had our health. We had, at that time, we didn't have family or friends yet that had passed away or got really, got really injured. So because I was so grateful and also feeling very guilty that nothing bad was happening, I was like, I, I really need to up my contribution to the world. I need to do something that will make me feel like I'm helping. I'm not, I'm not going to you know, work in a hospital, but you know, maybe I can help other people with the creative process because it's something I have a lot of experience with. I spent 
know, I think six or seven weeks kind of going back and sort of reverse engineering all of the techniques and all the tactics and all the different models and approaches that I've personally used, some my own, some other people, and kind of put them into a framework. And the framework that I put together is based on the, the fact that the creative process has three different stages. There is uh, inspiration. That's the first thing people do. And a lot, of, to your point, uh, Caroline, about you know writer's block, inspiration is that first part. And then the last part is just the execution, is physically completing the work and publishing it. And then the middle part, which is organization, which most people struggle with because they don't think it's part of the process, but it is. So I spent all this time building out these different tools. Like I said, there are now thousands of them, put them together in a very simple software called Prolific. Um, and I call it personal creativity management. I thought it would be fun to invent an acronym. So that's what it is. That is sort of my religion. And I use it for virtually every aspect of my life. And I continue to create new tools um, on a regular basis. So yeah, that's what it is. You can just Google Prolific. It's it's free. Anybody can use it. And there's tons of tools. And, uh, and I'm really proud of it. Tell us, what are you working on currently? So I just wrapped on two exciting projects in the past uh, couple months. The first one is that this is a two-year project that finally finished. This is a silent Gothic Western film. So I, I wrote these uh, songs during the pandemic that were um, very Western sounding, very dark, moody. I think sort of a, like a Tom Waits, uh, but with a less gravelly voice uh, with a little bit of uh, Johnny Cash country in there. And, and these songs had this really new feel that I had really hadn't written songs like this before. I traditionally write sort of singer-songwriter, folk, bluesy, uh, Americana stuff, but this sort of all minor key, super dark, biblical sounding gothic songs, um, I wanted to put them together into a film to complement the album. So um, my wife and I had a vacation in Utah. So we spent two weeks hiking through the canyons and bought a GoPro and just filmed everything we possibly could for two weeks and then spent the next year editing the footage to match the music. Uh, and this was something I've never done before, both the film part, uh, but then also hired a trumpet player, because if it's Western music, I'd have a trumpet player in there. Got this incredible trumpet player named Mihailo Kobets, who's in uh, Ukraine, and we collaborated remotely, and he laid down the trumpet parts um, and put this incredible um, package together that I'm really proud of. So it's, it is an album, but it also is a Western uh, film that you can watch, and the name of the film is called Black and White and Dead All Over. So... We already kind of know from your bio some of your interests. Mm -hmm. We know you write books. We know you have your own record label. Tell us a little bit about the record label. Right. So when I say record label, that is just a term I use to make myself feel special. It doesn't exist in any proper term. Like if you go to Spotify and you put in my name, I, I'm somewhere it says like copyright 2022 uh, who's your daddy records. I mean, it's a terrible name. No one knows the name. No one cares. My, my freshman year roommate came up with it. So the whole purpose of me having a quote label is because this is about hiring yourself and giving yourself permission to own your art and to take independent control over the work that you do. So it's like, I, yeah, I, I have a record label that is under the banner of my publishing company, but like not really a label. I have a record label in the same way that I have an artist residency. See, I'm a huge fan of telling yourself constructive, purposeful lies that allow you to feel like you're creating meaning in the world. And that gives you a sense of purpose. And so in my record label, like I've put out 13 albums and four films. Like it's not not a label. And then in in uh, in Brooklyn here, there's a park by my house. And when it's not freezing cold like it is right now, um, I perform concerts uh, every Monday before I go to work. I've talked to the people at Prospect Park. I've asked them uh, if they have artist residency, and like I made a documentary about it. 
I, I'm not on their website. I don't have, but I don't care because this is just the story that I tell myself. So that way, Monday morning after I walk my dog, I can go up there and connect with my neighbors and the people in my community by sharing my art. And if that's not an artist residency, I don't know what is. <laughs> we have our three questions that we ask everyone and we're going to ask them to you. Who are your musical influences or influences, I guess, in general? I mean, I can focus on music. I think that's a relevant question. So most of my biggest influences are early 90s acoustic singer-songwriters. So these could be anywhere from uh, like Toe the Wet Sprocket, Counting Crows, and then you have very different type of music like Morphine, which is a very obscure band that is just a huge, important influence on mine. Uh, Chris Whitley is a blues guitar, changed my life. I mean, I learned how to do open tuning from Chris Whitley, so... I wouldn't be the same person had I not listened to him. Uh, and then you have stuff that's a little bit more mainstream. You have like Dave Matthews, Bruce Hornsby, Mark Cohen, uh, Jeff Buckley, Edwin McCain. If you took all of these songwriters together in one little box, you would see like they all kind of overlap. It's like, you know, 1988 to 1999 was kind of like the their height. And that's when, I mean, I was born in 1980s, so I was of the right age for these these artists that came out. And all of this just just made me the type of musician that I am, which is all acoustic, uh, very sort of earnest and very authentic lyrics. I've given up trying to be cool. That never worked for me. So I just, these, these songwriters that I listen to, I, I think have that same kind of thing going. This is question number two that we ask everybody. Do you have a favorite lyric or song? And this could be your, your own. This could be somebody else. What is it and why? Oh, geez. So I'll, I'll give an, an unusual answer. So I, rather than giving you one specific lyric, I will give you a type of lyric. So my favorite type of lyric is any song where the words are completely meaningless and it just feels good to say it. So which is basically any Coldplay song. And I love Coldplay. Coldplay is one of my favorite bands. Anytime Coldplay does like, whoa, whoa, or, you know, la, 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 yeah, any of that stuff. I love all of that shit because I just want to sing it as loud as I can and it feels great. And it, it yeah, it doesn't matter what the lyric is. So it, even in my own songs, I can't do it every song, but when possible, I try to add those, what do they call it? Uh, non-lexical vocables. That's the word for it. It's on Wikipedia, non-lexical vocables. I like writing those in because a lot of my songs are sing-alongs. When I when I play music, I, I like to teach the audience how to sing. And by audience, I mean like the seven people in the tunnel watching me play. <laughs> so yeah, so like I have no problem like in the middle of the song saying, okay, guys, so the next part goes like this, la, la, la. And then we all do it together and we harmonize and stuff like that. So I writing to that type of interaction is important to me. So when I hear songs with those kind of lyrics, I'm like, yeah, let's go. That's the kind of pump you up part of the lyric. Yeah. <laughs> it, it could now it could be pump you up. It could also be like, there's a really melancholy part to it too. So like think about the boxer by uh, Paul Simon oh, when yeah. they go lie, lie, lie. Like that can be, yeah. that can be really moving and, and sad and cathartic, but it's like people can feel whatever they want, whatever feeling you have, it's coming out when you sing that song. What advice would you give to, to new musicians or songwriters? Uh, I could do both of those. So not every musician is a songwriter. And good point. I guess I was going to say not every songwriter is a musician. That, that might be true. I don't know. Doesn't, I'm not sure it matters. So for, for musicians, people listening may or may not have heard this piece of advice before, but I found it really helpful, which is um, it's better to practice five minutes every day than five hours once a week. 
So there's something about the con- the continuity and watching yourself grow and the discipline of doing it every day. I think it's really important, particularly if you're going to play guitar, because it's good for callus development. If you play on Monday and then wait until Friday, like your calluses aren't, they're going to close or they're, they're <laughs> not going to de- develop what you need. Like you need to play every day. So it gets kind of bloody and it cauterizes. And then your fingers are just really got that rock, you know, that the callus development is really important um, emotionally and physically. So that's, that's what I would say to musicians. Uh, and then the advice for songwriters is write as many songs as you possibly can, uh, as soon as you can. I, I mentioned this before that I wrote, I don't know, several dozen songs that were horrible. <laughs> and like, and you know, I, so I, I grew up in the nineties uh, playing guitar and my dad also plays guitar. We had a recording studio. So I, I recorded all these songs. I learned how to use like an eight track cassette tape recorder record everything, write down everything, write as much as you can, even if it's the worst thing that you've ever written. You don't have to share it with anybody if you don't want to. Like I didn't share my music for a long time. That's okay. Like there's no pressure to share. It's great if you can do it. Um, You may not be ready for that. So if you're just starting to write songs, just get as much as you can out there because like the more you write, the better you get. And, and it's fun. And, and the more joy you get. Um, if you hate doing it, you also may hate doing it. And then you might realize it's not for you. Cool. Like, wouldn't you have rather written 10 songs and thought, oh God, this actually, this sucks. I'm going to go, I'm going to go find another hobby. Whereas it's like six years down the road. You're like, oh my God, I'm sorry. I have to do this. Like get ahead of the iteration curve now and short circuit it just in case this isn't your thing. Okay. It's time for your shameless plug. Where can we hear your music? See you live or... Anything you want to share with our listeners? Sure. I just go on to Spotify. You can type in Scott Ginsburg and all of my records are there, including the record I wrote when I was in high school that I recorded with my dad in the basement. That is not very good. And I, I don't care because it's like it, another thing for songwriters. Is it doesn't matter if your song is good. It matters if it is yours. So all of my stuff is out there. And uh, go ahead, like all the movies are on YouTube or Vimeo, like uh, just put my name in there. I'm, I'm kind of everywhere so people can find whatever they want to find. I have to ask one qu- one more question too. What was your TED Talk about? It was about wearing name tag. And I gave my TED Talk in 2014. So it's been quite a while at this point. But yeah, I did it in St. Louis, which has made it very special because my friends and family got to show up. So the auditorium that we did the TED conference in St. Louis was the same auditorium where I have seen both uh, Bruce Hornsby and Sean Colvin play on the same stage. So that to me made it very special that no one else cared about. But I'm like, holy crap, like Hornsby was up here. Wow. So yeah, the TED talk is about what happens when you wear a name tag every day. And so as I said, this would, because it was 2014, this would have been 14 years into my experiment. I am now 24 years into it. So much has happened since then, but um, I'm really proud of it. And it's a lot of fun. I don't think there's another TED Talk on name tags. Well, we would love to invite you to play a song for our listeners. If you want to tell sure. us um, what it is and maybe a little bit about it. We're good. So this is a song I wrote uh, several years ago. And I wrote it uh, during the pandemic, uh, similarly to what I mentioned before, feeling really grateful that I was still alive and still employed and by all purposes of doing okay. And I wanted to write a song about how you can have gratitude even when things are going really great. You don't have to wake up in a hospital bed and go, oh my God, I'm so happy to be alive. Gratitude is something we don't need a reason to have. So I wrote that for this and it's started as a song 
and now has sort of become a, a life philosophy. And we play it every year at Thanksgiving with my family. So it's family tradition now. Uh, and I'll play it for you. And it's called Just Happy to Be Here. taking this time to be with us today and for sharing all your awesome stories. I'm really glad we got to make this work out. You are a, an amazing human and it's been great Jim, to have you, you on here. Thanks y'all. Scott truly is an amazing human. So if you have a chance, check out Prolific and check out his music anywhere you can stream. We learned so much from him and he has such a great outlook on writing and just being alive. We are grateful that we got to have you on the show, Scott. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and family and post it to your social media and be sure to like, rate, and review. If you're a musician and you want to be interviewed on our podcast, please email us at nashvillehotchickenmusic at gmail.com. We'll look forward to hearing from you and hope y'all look forward to hearing from us. Thanks for listening to Sisters in Song.